I'm glad that you're here. My name is Chris, and uh, I'm one of the elders, pastor here at the church. We're especially privileged today because we have a guest speaker and his lovely wife, uh, all the way from Starkville, Mississippi, and we are um, excited to always have them with us. So if you're visiting with us today, uh, you're in for a treat. Uh, and if you come back next week, we'll do the best we can uh, to live up to the high watermark that will happen today. No pressure, Brother Bill. No pressure. Um, Bill Murphy is uh, a dear, dear friend. He pastored for many, many years. I won't tell you how many. New Covenant Church in Starkville, Mississippi. Uh, he, that being a university town, Mississippi State University, they have received, equipped, and sent out so many people across, around the world from different na nations and cultures and experiences, and they have sown into the kingdom by sowing peop into people and sending them out. And I told Brother Bill the other night, I, he won't know until he gets to heaven the impact that his leadership and the brothers and sisters there had around the world, which uh, is what a great heritage that he has and God has given him. Brother Bill uh, walked with our own uh, dear brother John Duke, a pastor here for 27 years, and walked closely with him. We sent brother Jerry Lanares from our church to be with Bill and Debbie, Jerry and Susan, and they walked together many years too. There's a lot of history. More recently, Bill and I have traveled to Kenya and taught at the Kenya Ministry Training Institute together. He actually invited me to go the first time, and it was life-changing for me. We were able to return again, and of course, since then, I've been back several other times, and I'm very grateful for his investment in that way. But mostly, he's a friend, and uh, you're going to be blessed by the insight of his word. You're going to be blessed by the anointing that's on him, but you're mostly going to be blessed about his understanding of God as our Father and that we are his children. And it is such a great revelation that he embodies, he lives out, and you will hear it in his tone. So I'd like for you to really honor him for me, if you will, because he's worthy of honor. Would you please welcome Brother Bill Murphy. Thank you so much, Chris. That's quite an introduction. I don't get out much. I don't preach in other churches often. And uh, so coming here is really like just being at home. Uh, this is the most gracious uh, place I know, the most welcoming, most honoring. And to be with Chris and his family, to be with Miss Ellen, has just been a delight. And uh, we are refreshed already by just having been here. I feel like I've been just kind of carried along on the love and the grace of all the people here. It's been several years since I've been, and um, I can't keep up with time anymore. It just gets away from me. And uh, so many things just keep happening. My wife and I had a wonderful experience this week. We became great grandparents. And uh, yeah, it's a big deal. So a little baby girl down on the Mississippi coast, and. Uh, everyone's fine and great, and but uh, it just keeps happening. It just keeps things just keep happening and keep growing and changing, and so. But it's just great to be with you uh, this morning. So thankful 
for all of the friends here and uh, the Curry family. We have some relationship going way back. They knew my children. And you just forget all of the things that connect us. And then, of course, John's ministry to me personally and to our church. My uh, oldest son calls me every Sunday morning. We do our weekly visit on Sunday mornings. And he was remembering John and uh, growing up in our church and John coming to ministry. He said, whenever John, Brother John came, he said, when he spoke, he said, it was just like God. It was the same thing to, to, to him. And he grew up with that. that uh, and uh, I'm just so thankful that that's a great memory he has. And so um, I don't, I try to uh, keep notes and keep records but I couldn't remember. I couldn't find my notes from what I said when I was here before. So I pray you won't remember because <laughs> I'm liable to say the same thing. And when you get older, that happens. Uh, Debbie and I, we feel like the old couple that uh, you just get a little forgetful as you get older. It just happens to everybody. And this couple went to the doctor and he said, you know, there's really nothing you can do. He said, you might just try writing things down. And uh, I said, OK, we'll, we'll try that. So. They, they tried to work that out amongst themselves. They finished supper one night and watching Wheel of Fortune. And the wife said, you know, I got some dessert in there if you'd like some. He said, sure. He's, he's, she said, I've got some, some ice cream. He said, yeah, I like that. He said, I'll get you some strawberries on it. He said, that'd be good. He said, you better write all this down. You'll forget it. <laughs> she said, no, I got it. She, 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 he said, you have some of that cake left. You put it on there. She, he said, write it down so you'll get it all in. She said, no, I got it. So she was gone for 20 minutes or so. And uh, it didn't matter to him. He was asleep. But she comes back in the kitchen. <laughs> she comes back in the kitchen 20 minutes later. She's got a plate of bacon and eggs. And he looks at her real funny. He said, where's my toast? <laughs> so two are better than one. If you're both forgetful, it still works. It still works. So uh, one of the points I'll, I'll make at the end of our, my, my little talk this morning is, uh, is to remember. Uh, but I'd like to read um, <clears throat> and pray this morning that we could just enjoy the scriptures together. I stepped down from uh, active pastoring a year ago, so I'm not preaching regularly to, in a manner that would give direction to the church, but I'm enjoying the scriptures as much as ever. And I just want to invite you to enjoy them with me this morning. I'm not going to pre preach at you. I'm done with that. I want, to, I want people to just engage the scriptures that are so powerful, to meditate on them, think about them. There's some things written down in here that are just nuts. And uh, I'm going to ask that God make it alive to us and active. Hebrews says the word of God is alive and it's active. And if it's alive in you, it's going to activate you in some measure. And if it's active in you, it'll stay alive. So those two words are really good to, to process, alive and active. But I'm going to read from the book of Colossians, a powerful essay of the Apostle Paul. The book of Colossians is going to read a good bit of the first chapter. And I have a title for what it's worth, and that's the big if. I'm going to talk about the big if. I'm going to start from verse 13. Paul is commending this church for the way they received the gospel, 
for the way they've embraced it and grown. And he said, it's increasing in you. He said, just like it's doing all over the world since it began. How many of you know it's, it's increasing all over the world? Some of the fastest growing churches are in places we've never been, never heard of. But it's increasing. And he, he says, I pray it'll just keep growing in you. Like, like it did the first day you heard it. Verse 13, he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He, speaking of Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. That's a lot of stuff. All of it, he says, made through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him everything holds together. By the way, he's also head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself would come to have First place in everything, for it was the Father's good pleasure for all of the fullness to dwell in Him. And through Him to reconcile all things to Himself, having made peace through the blood of His cross. Through Him I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. And although you were formerly alienated, hostile in mind, I appreciate the song this morning, we lift you up in our mind. Hostile in mind, <clears throat> engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy, blameless, and beyond reproach. If. The big if. Seems simple. If you just continue in the faith, firmly established, steadfast, not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you heard and which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. Well, that's a pretty big if. Now, I don't live in fear of missing things, but when you see something like that that says... The Father's purpose and pleasure is to take you and having reconciled you and His goal is to bring you to a place where He can present you to the Father without blame, holy and without reproach, if. And so I, I thought we'd just talk for a moment about steadfast continuing in the purity and the blessing of the gospel, in the hope that it gives to us, the hope that's anchored in God's wonderful purpose and pleasure that we know is going to reach its apex at some point. It, it will be accomplished. The hope that was birthed in us when we first responded and He took us out of darkness into His marvelous light and the hope that God will indeed perform all of His redemptive purpose concerning each one of us. A hope. A hope that says that we like to sing when we don't see it, he's working. How many of you have that hope? I'm learning that I don't have to see it. I don't have to feel it. 
My hope is he's out there working away. And he will finish what he started. And so Hebrews 10 tells us to hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. It's all about the big if is not him. It's with us. There's no if if he's going to do it. There's no if if he's going to be faithful. There's no if as to what he's planning on doing and has already purposed to do in Christ. The if is with us. If we hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. 1035 in Hebrews says, don't throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. You have need of endurance. You have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what was promised. And then Hebrews again in chapter 3, he said Christ was faithful as a son over his house. Whose house we are? If. Whose house we are? If, Brother Curtis, we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope firm all the way to the end. So it doesn't seem like a hard thing. It doesn't seem like a real big gift just to hold fast and be hopeful and believe God and believe His Word, except that everything we hold dear regarding these things are un under constant assault. To make us waver and to make you doubt and to make you think twice. And so he goes into the second chapter and, and he says this mystery, this, this God's mystery that is Christ himself in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He said, I say this so that no one will delude you with persuasive argument. Delude you with persuasive argument. I'm uh, amazed at how quickly false teaching and weirdness came into the early church. Right away. Immediately. Now we shouldn't be surprised because Paul said also in Corinthians, he said, I'm worried about you, lest like Eve <laughs> in the garden who was deceived. And believed something totally false. That that could happen to you. And you would be taken away from the purity of your simplicity of devotion to Christ. It can happen. It's a big if. It's nothing small. And so here we are 2,000 years later. And we've had all of this 2,000 years of cumulative opportunity to have all of these false, weird <laughs> issues and then in our age of communication, front and center 24-7. And so the if seems to get bigger. It's a bigger if perhaps than it was when I grew up. I wasn't faced with all of these things all the time. Persuasive arguments. Verse 8, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men. I mean, no, you can click on that right now and you can get that. That's right. You can get that. It's there. It's an, uh, something that's right there waiting to take you captive as the serpent did Eve. To just grab your attention so the if becomes bigger. 
But he said, just remember for in him all the fullness of God dwells. I'm gonna, we're going to get to that and meditate in a moment. And in him you have been made complete. And he's the head over all rule and authority. So you got, you got to watch those empty philosophies and wonderful sounding arguments that diminish the rule and the beauty and the exaltation of Christ. You bring that down a little bit, you're heading toward captivity. So it's a big if. It's a big if. Verse 16, therefore, let no one act as your judge in regard to food or drink or respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. He's dealing with people that had a hard time letting go of Moses. And I, I mean, that should be understandable. I think it's Dr. Wright who says that he uses the word of the Lordship of Christ, of Christ being in charge. And he said, if Christ is in charge, it simply means I'm not. But it also means Moses is not. It also means Caesar is not. But you understand that for thousands of years, Moses was everything, everything. And then here comes this change of eras where God comes in the image of us and our likeness. It's amazing. So he says, let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement in the worship of angels, taking his stand on visions he has seen. Nothing wrong with visions, but we don't stand on them. Inflated without cause by his fleshly mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the entire body gets its nourishment and, and richness. So these are just little things that are, are, are coming in against our, our beauty and, and joy of having Christ who is the image of God. So we have all of these Opportunities for our hope to diminish or to be carried away or to be held captive and just constantly in our face. Some of them sound good, some of them look good, and some of them make you feel good. And um, <clears throat> none of them are good. Let no one defraud you. For you have been made complete in Christ. So that's a, that makes it a bigger if than if we just kind of pass over it and talk about, well, let's just, let's just walk out our faith and courage and have our hope. But there are things that are there to take captive or delude or defraud or to deceive. And so I'm, I want to just invite you to... Um, the things that have helped me, the things that I'm trying to put into practice to keep my hope secure and to stay steady. And that is, number one, to embrace the real mystery of Christ in us. How many of you know just because something is a mystery doesn't mean it's not real? It can be a mystery. You don't have to understand it for it to... To be real. I don't have a clue. How 
my grandchildren many states away can send a video through a piece of glass fiber that goes to a satellite down to a tower, over to another tower, back up to a satellite, back into my home, into my phone. It's there. It's real. Now, do I understand it? Can I explain it? It's a mystery. I don't even think engineers can explain it that made it. I don't think they can explain it. How does it happen? It's mysterious. But it's real. It happens. I just returned from MD Anderson Medical Center where my brother is receiving, has received a bone marrow transplant, but they call it stem cell transplant now. I had hoped I could be the donor, but my blood wasn't a good match, so my dear sister got to be the donor. Bless her heart. She's had surgery and broke her shoulder. And so she goes for 12 days, and they give her some kind of injection that makes her body overproduce stem cells. And then they pull it out of her and separate what they want, and they count it. They said, we need 4,230,000 stem cells from you. Now tell me how they count those. <laughs> But the nurse comes in and says, oh, you did good. We got over four million. You did good. You can go home now. And it's in a little bitty packet about this big. Explain that to me, how they put that into his blood. And it takes root like you're planting a new garden down inside of you. And those become the seeds for all of his new cells. Now, I don't understand that, but it works. He's getting healed. He's responding. And they're using the word cure. He didn't have full-blown leukemia. Had they ignored it, he would have. But they're saying, it's taking root. Your count's going up. Now, because it's a mystery, it doesn't mean it's not real. And so we're, we're reading that he is the image of the invisible God. That in him dwells all the fullness of God himself. Now, this is Paul writing a letter, but this actually happened. I like to think of this, the first miracle. You're going to say the first miracle was the water turned to wine, right? I'm going to suggest it was before that, that it had to do with fish. Jesus had just left his hometown synagogue, of course, where they tried to kill him. And was teaching on the seashore of Capernaum, and he... The crowds are really coming out. And uh, it says he saw two boats or three boats and he stepped into the one, the one that just happened to belong to Simon Peter. Now, just would you just meditate with me and embrace this mystery? He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. Everything that exists, visible, invisible, heaven or earth was made by him. And he says, hi, Peter. Hi, Curtis. Hi. Can we go fishing together? He is the image of the invisible God. So to hold fast our hope, I would, I'm going to invite you to just embrace the, the mystery. Paul said, this is my job. He said, he said I was made a minister 
according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. That is the mystery that has been hidden for ages and generations now revealed to his saints in whom God will to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you. It's not just Christ in the image of God, born of a virgin, walking the streets. It's Christ inside of you, the creator of all things. Would you just drink in that with me this morning? You're talking about getting anchored in hope. It's to just embrace the mystery. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul wrote to Timothy, he says, he said, the mystery of godliness is great. He appeared in a body. It's a mystery. You tell me how that works. You tell me how God can pack himself into a person and be the creator and the pre-existent creator of everything and then step into a man's life in his work and introduce himself and scare the baloodles out of him. <laughs> And Peter is responding to the God of the universe, but he doesn't know it. It's mysterious. And he says, let's push out and catch some fish. And Peter was tired because he had fished all night and caught nothing. And probably in honor and respect to the rabbi, he said, it's your word, teacher. We'll, we'll give it one more go. They had already cleaned their nets. They pushed out and they said, it was a great catch of fish. So much so. That's his miracle. This is the first miracle. All of you fishermen out there, if somebody tells me there's a hole out there that's full of double-digit bass and you can catch one every cast, I'd say, no, that's a mystery. That's, a, that's miraculous because it doesn't exist without a miracle. But it was real. He says he had to call the other boats, and they filled all three of the boats. So full, what? Began to sink. That's a good day on the water. Yes. And immediately Peter understands that there's something mysterious going on. He doesn't understand it, but it's very real. He's got to go clean all this fish. Or he gets to sell them, and he's going to have a, he's going to have a month's payday today. Either way, it's mysterious. But it's real. And he has a hard time embracing the mystery. And so he understands in that moment that he's dealing with a holy man. And he's not. Great is the mystery of godliness. And so he politely asks, but very emphatically asks, would you please get out of my boat? Or leave me alone? Because... I can't handle this. This is, I know I'm not like you. I know I'm not supposed to be in proximity to you. I don't understand you're the creator of the universe yet, but you just did something miraculous and I, this is mysterious and I can't handle it and you're holy and I'm not. Not unlike Isaiah's great vision. He said, I, in the year King Uzziah died, what? I saw God. I saw him and he describes what he saw. And then in the middle of it, he says, 
told no. I'm undone. This isn't right. I don't belong here. He's holy. I'm not. And the Lord says, we can make this work. And said the same thing to Peter. My father is going to pull you out of darkness. He's going to offer me as a sacrifice that's going to allow me to present you, Peter, before the throne, spotless. It's a mystery. What if we just embrace that freshly today? You don't have to understand it. I wake up in the morning and confess and sense the presence of God, and I think, this is crazy. He's here again. And he wants to be here again. That's part of the mystery is he wants to be there. You can't, Peter could not make him go away. And that's a good thing, isn't it? That's a good thing. So embrace the mystery. However he comes to you in whatever manner, in your work, in your marriage, in your life. Don't stop embracing the mystery. It's still real. Curtis, we had supper with Curtis and Phyllis and, and uh, Ray and, um, sorry, Roger. Wonderful time, but Curtis was telling old stories and he was in a moment years ago where God just showed up. And it was so powerful that another person in that moment had to contact him years later and had to sit with him and he said, I, I just needed you to, Tell me that what we had saw was real. I was there, like you were, and I remember it, but did it really happen? Did it really happen to you? Is the creator of all things visible, invisible, thrones, dominion? I don't know anything about those things. I don't know what all he's talking but whatever's out there, he made it. And he made it for his pleasure and his purpose. One in the same. One in the same. There's a new satellite out there somewhere and they're sending pictures back and the astrophysicists and the astronomers are scratching their heads again. There's more stuff out there than we thought. As a matter of fact, there may not even be an end to it. He made all that. And he, hey, Peter. Hey, Chris, could we fish together for a moment? Let me begin to reveal to you the mysterious purposes of my Father and engage you in this mystery. So just embrace it. You don't have to understand it. It doesn't have to make complete sense to you. Don't, every day you're doing stuff, you don't understand how it works, but it's real and you're using it. And it's functional and it helps you. Do that with Christ. I, you don't have to understand it all. Just say, man, this is mysterious. But he's here. And it's real. And he listens to me. And he hears me. And in some way, in all of his glorious beauty and largeness, he responds to me. Now, I'll never get that. But I want to embrace it. So embrace the mystery. And then I'm trying to acknowledge 
Secondly, acknowledge the Father's business, this whole business of him presenting us to himself. And that's the phrase, of course, from Jesus as the boy in the temple. Um, it's an interesting story. It's the first um, glimpse we have of Jesus growing up. I think he was 12. And so every year, his family makes the long trek to Jerusalem. I, I did the mileage and calculated the speed of a donkey and all of that. But a couple of days journey. And it says his parents supposed him to be among the family. It's like traveling with Chris's family, you know. <laughs> He's going to be with one of the aunts. If one of the mothers is missing a child, well, my sister's got him. You know, he's here somewhere. But they get close to home and they can't find him. It's supper time or time to pitch the tent, spend the night, and Jesus isn't there. And like any mother, they, they get nervous. And uh, it doesn't tell us how man Joseph's got ticked, I would think, you know. <laughs> I started out this morning, uh, Chris and Donna came on at 8, and Debbie and I, I stayed behind and got our bags packed, and I was trying to help her get out the door, and I left my Bible. So I get down the interstate, and I realize I don't have my Bible or my notes, and I have to go back, and guys get mad when that happens. So. <laughs> but in that moment, these brothers were back here praying for me, and for some Mysteriously, I did not get angry. That's, that's amazing. But they were nervous, of course, and it says Jesus was in the temple. It says he was talking with the scribes and Pharisees. And, the, and it says this, it says he was listening and asking questions. And they were amazed at his insight and what he was seeing. And so I wonder... If that's not a glimpse, the first glimpse we have of what it might mean to be born from above. He's asking questions that we don't know how to ask unless we're born of the Spirit. He's seeing things that they don't even know and haven't seen. And so he says to his mother, Mom, I'm sorry got nervous but didn't you know I had to be about the father's business this is what I'm about it's who I am so even that and then and then we don't hear anything anymore from this young lad until he appears either on the shore with John the Baptist or at the wedding or on the seashore quite a few years later but what how nice of God to give us this whole story that Jesus in his empowered divine state knew what the father was about and what he was doing and he said that defines my life so I'd, I'd just like to again invite you to acknowledge the father's business that it's what defines us and defined him he's reaching uh, he, he's his life is being defined by what the father is doing and wants to do And of course, it, uh, it turned on and turned up there pretty quickly. My friend uh, John Booty is a coach and a motivator and a pastor. And he uses coach speak. And 
he, he, he says, you know, Jesus was there at the wedding and his mother was trying to get him to, you know, they ran out of wine and she just goes to Jesus. I, I don't know, you know, this previous story we just read, it says Mary treasured all of these things and just kind of kept them in her heart. But in this moment, they needed wine and she just, well, maybe Jesus can help. Maybe he can run down to the store with his disciples and get some more wine. And she comes to him and he says, woman, he says, what? I don't have anything to do with me. What do you want me to do? My hour has not yet come. And, and, and Johnny, he says, he says he knew that if he did something there, he said it was on. <laughs> it was on. That's that's kind of a coach speak. It's on, buddy. When that whistle blows, that first snap, it's on. And he said, Jesus knew. The moment he did something like that publicly, there was no turning back because he would begin to reveal himself to the world as the image of God and where it would lead him ultimately. Acknowledge that the Father's business is bringing many sons to glory. And so would you just meditate again from Hebrews chapter 2. I'm just going to read this. Beautiful passage. I think it was Brother John's favorite book, Hebrews. I know he preached out of it for about five years in a row. It was fitting for him, speaking of Jesus, for whom are all things and through whom are all things. Just echoing Paul's writing. In bringing many sons to glory to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all from one father. Peter, the sanctified, Jesus, the sanctifier, all from the same father. For this reason, would you just embrace this with me this morning? For this reason, he is not ashamed to call us brothers. I don't, I don't like to manipulate audiences and get them to repeat stuff and raise their hands and say amen. But you might, just, you might just consider saying to somebody next to you, he's not ashamed to call me his brother. Maybe you just take that home with you and embrace that this morning. And we're using the term brother in the generic sense, ladies. I don't want to have to qualify that every time I say it, but sisters, not ashamed. I said he's not ashamed to call you his brother. I just know where to put all. And then finally, so engage the mystery and embrace the father's business of bringing many sons to glory, including you. And then remember that God is dealing with you as sons. He said, you forgot. You forgot. Come on, this is how we hold fast. This is how we keep our hope anchored. He said, son, don't regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Or faint when you're reproved by him for the, whom the Lord loves. He disciplines. 
He said, it's for discipline that you endure. He said, God is dealing with you as sons. If you're without discipline, of which you've all become partakers, you're not legitimate. They just, our earthly fathers disciplined us for a short time. It seemed best to them. How many of you know your father did the best he could with what he had? That's all, that's all, you just thank God for it. Some are better than others. But look, there's one who disciplines you for one reason. That you might share his holiness. So there's only one way he deals with us. And there's only one reason he deals with us. There's only one way he deals with you. And that's as a son or a daughter. Not another way. I was dealing with some things in my life some years back. I don't even remember the setting or what I was wrestling with. But I, I was just trying to work through some condemning voices. You know, you, your pastor or leader, anybody. You, you get in a funk. You start listening to those fine-sounding arguments. Or the enemy comes to you and just begins to oppress you a little bit, you know. And uh, I, in working through that, I can remember coming out on the other side and I, I was praying and I said, Lord, whatever I'm not, I am your servant. But I thought, no. If I'm going to fight the voice of the condemn, condemning enemy, I can't say I'm your servant. I have to say, whatever I'm not in this earthly life, by George, I am your offspring. I am your son. I'm, it's okay to see yourself as a servant, as a steward, as a friend, but you, can, you can't fight the condemning voice of the enemy as a servant the same way you can as a son. You don't have the same authority. You don't have the same presence of, of, of inward strength to say, No! Get behind me, Satan. I'm a son. He deals with me as a son. So one way and for only one reason. That he might present us blameless. Remade somehow, some way, mysteriously reflecting his image. And I don't know how that happens. I don't know when it happens. I don't. But he, it's real. It's what he's doing right here, right now. It's what he will be doing tomorrow as he processes you and gets into your life and refuses to leave and starts working in certain areas in your life that he's concerned about. You may not even know they exist. You may not even be aware until you say to them, I'm going to embrace this mystery, I'm going to acknowledge that there's something happening in me today that's of my father, and it has to do with him shaping me to be like himself. And when we resist that, we're no different than a child whose parents are trying to get them to see something and to be conformed to a certain image that they see, but the child doesn't. And so when the child resists, he's basically saying, I don't think I want to be that way. And we can't afford to say that. 
So acknowledge that the Father's at work. Not ashamed to call you his brother. And there's only one way he's dealing with you. He's not angry. He's not treating you like some number or, you know, some impersonal thing. Treating you as a son for one reason. That he can take many, many, many sons into glory. What a mystery. What a wonderful mystery. It's okay if you don't understand it. Just say, I don't understand it. But I want it. It's real. <laughs> so I'm going to leave you with that. Embrace the mystery. Just embrace it with me this morning. This beautiful black and white truth. God is working you. Both to will and to act according to his good pleasure. See yourself as a son. Not any other way. No other way. And his, it's his business. And we ought to be about it. We ought to be about the Father's business. Not only conforming ourselves, but helping others conform to his image. Amen? Amen. Well, I hope, I hope you're encouraged this morning. I'm telling you, I'm encouraged when I get here. The Word of God just comes alive in me. This is a wonderful place, and you should be thankful for it. It's a wonderful, healthy church. You should be thankful. But you don't have to worry about your leaders offering you fine-sounding arguments that make you feel good, but are giving you a wonderful truth that's going to bring you cooperate with the work of the Holy Spirit. So just one more time. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, the creator of things visible, invisible, thrones, dominions, powers. And he says, welcome to my world. Welcome to his world. Amen. Chris, you want to come help me close? It'll be all right. I'm here to serve and to encourage. Thank you all. Want to have a ministry time? Are you blessed? It's so good. Thank you, Brother Bill. So good. Every, every piece, such a rich nugget. So I just want to give opportunity for people to receive from the Lord what he has for you today. You've heard God's word. What we believe is that God's word is, is sown like seed, would be sown on soil. And it gets sown. Jesus talked about this, like spreading seed. But the question, the big if, is what kind of soil it gets sown into. What kind of soil are we today? Are we the kind of soil that is hard packed and it just gets eaten up by birds? Are we... The kind of soil that thistles grow up, stickers as we call them in New Mexico, choke out the life of the, or they just get on the, on the side of the road, or is it among rocks where it can't really find good root, or is it good soil that grows deep because roots grow deep and it produces a harvest? So what Brother Bill did today was to sow seed he scattered seed and as the lord is leading you we would like to pray for you love to pray for you so we're going to sing a song there's no special magical piece to this 
it is an opportunity to respond to God. There'll be leaders here at the front that can pray for you, or maybe you have someone that you've been connecting with here as you're a part of this gathering, and you'd like to just go and ask them to pray for you. That's okay, too. And maybe you'd like to have Brother Bill pay for, pray for you. You could just come up here, and he'd be happy to do this. We're going to stand together, sing this song, and as we do, you respond to the Lord as he leads you. If you're in need of ministry prayer, I'd like to ask some of the elders and leaders to come on down and be available to pray with people. Go ahead and make your way if you could down now. And then you just come and respond to the Lord. Come and respond to what the Lord is saying, what he is doing, what the Spirit is leading us into. Respond.